welcome to uh, this part of our service. Um, probably should just acknowledge it feels kind of strange, and uh, I'm sure it's strange for you too, uh, for me to be here. Um, the first time something like this happened to me was uh, quite a number of years ago in, in Guatemala. I was supposed to go out uh, from the city about a couple hours and pick up a, a small church, fill a van with church people, and then go a couple hours beyond and uh, hold a service. And um, after I picked up the, the church group, um, the pastor that I was riding along with uh, said, oh, whoa, would you mind sharing this morning uh, at our service? And I'd been in Guatemala for about four months at that point, and I knew very little Spanish. And I tried to get out of it, but eventually I, I shared. I, I mostly read uh, from the scripture and uh, made a few comments. So anyway, fortunately, um, you know the same language that I do this morning, and, and you're friendly folks, so I think we'll, we'll get along okay. And I've had a little bit more uh, warning. Uh, in, in May of 1962, there was a 12-year-old boy named Everett Knowles, and he was trying to, to jump on board a, a freight train in Massachusetts. And uh, something went wrong, and in the process, he was thrown up against a stone wall, and tragically, his, his right arm was ripped completely off. And so he was, he was quickly rushed to the hospital by an ambulance along with his severed arm, and up to that time, um, a completely severed limb uh, had never been successfully reattached. But here, uh, doctors had an ideal candidate before them, and it was time to try. So they assembled a team, and they painstakingly reattached and pinned and, and grafted his, his arm back on. And to everyone's delight, uh, his hand soon turned pink. And uh, then a number of months later, there was another surgery. His, his nerves were reattached. And he began to complain about intense pain, which in this situation was actually a good thing. And then in, in a couple of years, he was uh, playing baseball and tennis and doing things that, that boys should do. And he went on to have an illustrious uh, career driving truck and hauling uh, sides of meat around to grocery stores using his hands. Our hands are, are very useful things. Um, told they're comprised of about 27 bones in each hand, and it's one of the most intricate uh, structural parts of the body. Each hand is controlled by something like 35 muscles, and I'm told also that it takes about eight of them to move your index finger. We probably all can think of at least a few people who may be missing part of a hand or, or their arms. I think of Roy Johnson, um, uh, quite a number of you know him, uh, Carl, you know. Um, and for these people, ordinary things can be rather difficult. Uh, even though many of them have, have adapted and, and can do amazing things despite these, these handicaps. Well, God chooses to do a lot of His work uh, through our hands, and that's the concept I'd like to explore a little bit this morning. Um, the, the title of today's 
talk is uh, working with God. It seems a bit silly um, if you stop and think about it, maybe. Uh, why would God want to limit himself to working through our hands? Uh, he is all-powerful, the creator of the world. And does he really need our hands? Are there really things that he can't accomplish without our hands? Does he just let us uh, help him? Uh, maybe kind of like a mother with a, a four-year-old who wants to help bake cookies. Does he just do this so we feel good about ourselves? And I don't know that we'll be able to adequately answer all those questions this morning, but we'll, we'll at least nibble at the edges and probe uh, the best we can this, this working relationship that we have with God. I think we all know that there is work to do. Um, it's a bit of an abstract term, uh, but Jesus certainly referred to the work that God had for him. Uh, we all know the story he told his parents early on that he must be about his father's business. He, he sensed an obligation to do something. In John 9, uh, 3 and 4, now, this is right after there was a man who was born blind, and he was healed, and the disciples were asking Jesus about it. And Jesus said this, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Uh, in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit tells the church at Antioch, he says, Set aside for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And on throughout the New Testament, um, work terms are frequently used. Paul refers to many people as his fellow laborers or his fellow workers. And if there wasn't work to do, I think he would have uh, referred to them as his fellow retirees or his fellow vacationers or some other more relaxing term. So yes, there is work to do, and God would like our hands to be busy. Now I'd like to talk a bit about our, our work relationship with God. Now Paul uses the term servant to describe himself fairly frequently. And uh, Peter and James in both of their letters uh, refer to themselves as servants of Jesus Christ. In fact, now that term, servants of Jesus Christ, is a rather frequently used term uh, throughout the New Testament. And it's very accurate. Uh, you are not your own. You were bought with a price to glorify God in your body, Paul tells the Corinthians. Now, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 1, puts, puts a little different uh, spin or light on this relationship. Rather than referring to us as a servant, it says this, and this is first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, and the NIV it says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. The ESV says it this way, working together with Him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And the King James translates this phrase, workers together with Him. 
In other words, we are involved in what gets done. We have an ownership stake in the agenda. We are invested in what's going on. We have skin in the game. In fact, I don't think it's a stretch to say that we are in a partnership with God to accomplish His agenda and to work in His kingdom. A business partnership is is an interesting uh, concept, and maybe it's a bit of an oddity in in business. Uh, You hear about the self-made man, and that's someone who starts a company and works works it from the ground up and turns it into a successful company. But if you think through uh, just some names that are familiar to us or companies, a number number of them come to mind that were obviously started by two people. Uh, Simon & Schuster, uh, a famous publishing company. Uh, Wells Fargo was started by Henry Wells and William Fargo to provide uh, express service and banking services to California. Uh, during the gold rush. Procter and Gamble. Uh, that was founded by two men who actually married sisters. One of them was a soap maker and the other a candle maker. And their father-in-law told them, hey, quit competing against each other. Just get together and, and work together. And so they, they started a business relationship. And of course, you have Ben and Jerry, so you could forget that. Uh, ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield, they met in high school and eventually started an ice cream business together with some borrowed money and an old gas station in Vermont, I think. And then, of course, no partnership list would be complete without our very own famous H&S right here in our midst. Uh, so I'm going to use them as a bit of a, an example this morning. I didn't ask for permission, and only one of them is here, but hopefully it's okay. Nate doesn't work for Kendall, and Kendall isn't Nate's employee. Uh, their relationship is different than the relationship that they have with their employees. They are partners, partners in business. And I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that Nathan doesn't wake up in the morning and tell Kendall exactly what to do each day. Now, I'm sure they talk, and I'm sure they plan, and uh, they each have their roles to play, and they each do them. They see the big picture, and they know what work needs to be done. Now, we've, we've all observed uh, employees maybe uh, doing a service for us or for someone else, or people just doing their job, but it's pretty obvious they don't really care about what they're doing. They're working for someone, but they're more interested in just getting a paycheck at the end of the week than the overall success of the business. This is not the kind that is not the kind of involvement that God is looking for. He wants a partner. God is looking for active partners who are willing to work long hours to get the job done. Workers that are invested in the work. Yes, partners who wake up in the morning already thinking about what needs to be done. Uh, workers who have vision and, yes, some, some ownership. 
So we looked at, at the fact that there's, there's work to do, and we've explored our investment and our involvement in the work. And yes, we are servants. Uh, we are absolutely dependent on God. who are also partners with God. Now let's look at some aspects of, of the work, maybe in, in more practical terms, what it might, might look like for us. Now, first of all, I believe that there are things for all of us to do, and I have that in bold in my notes. All of us, everyone, every man, woman, young Christian, older Christian, uh, when we are partners with Christ and invested in His program, there is plenty to do. And I know that there are many times that we feel inadequate, uh, not good enough, not spiritual enough, not gifted enough. Uh, maybe we're not even, we think, uh, in the right church office to really make a difference for God. But if God is asking us to partner with Him, He sees value in what we bring to the equation. Yes, God sees value in us, in you. This, this won't be an exhaustive uh, list of kingdom jobs, but I'd, I'd like to look at three uh, practical job descriptions, uh, things that we can do to advance the kingdom as we partner with God. Uh, number one, evangelize with love. John 13, 34 and 35 says this, A new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Derek, I appreciate the theme that you had going on over there. It ties in very nicely with, with what I'm talking about this morning. I'm told that, that love is more than a feeling. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's action. And might we even call it uh, work sometimes? From, from these verses and others, um, there, there's no doubt that we as workers, as partners of God, are part, part of our job description is, is to love each other, love our brothers and sisters. How do we love each other? Doesn't, doesn't love basically come down to just showing each other we care, uh, listening to each other, taking uh, an interest in each other? in each other's lives, uh, asking questions, remembering. And the way I see it, uh, this, this is a dual job. Yes, we are called to love, uh, but there's also something else that profound that, that happens when we do this. When we act differently than the world, Jesus says, by, by doing this, all men will know that you are my disciples. So not only are we loving each other, but we're also preaching while we're doing it. When we love, we're witnessing. And we often think of evangelism as, as preaching and teaching and tracts and street meetings and, and doing things in, in far from fun places. And, and that's, of course, true, and, and that needs to happen and should happen. But loving and caring for each other is, is also an effective witness. It's something that the world doesn't see too much of these days. 
I don't think that Jesus would have would have said this if, if he didn't mean it. So that's job description number one. The second thing, part of our job description, is do good. Uh, Galatians 6, 9 and 10 say this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And then in Titus 3, Paul says, says this, Remind people everywhere to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. And, and I'm paraphrasing a little here. Then he goes on in, in Titus 3, and gives a touching description of, of our lives before Christ. And then he says, When the kindness and love of God our Savior touched our lives, it changed us. And then verse 8 of um, Titus 3 says, This is a trustworthy thing, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Doing what is doing good uh, is more than just avoiding bad or what is bad. It's uh, different than we somehow tell our children be good. Doing good is, is active. Doing good isn't just bemoaning the evil of the world around us. It's it's fighting back. Uh, there's there's some offense going on. Um, there's an Adventures in Odyssey series, and I know there may be mixed views of the wholesomeness of Adventures in Odyssey, but uh, there's a series where, where bad things are starting to happen around the town of Odyssey, and this street gang called the Bones of Wrath, they're, they're doing all sorts of bad things. Vandalism just causing mayhem around the town. And finally, there's a, a good group of young people that is formed called the Israelites. And they go around uh, kind of reversing these bad things and doing random acts of goodness, as, as they say. As Christians, I think we're called to regular acts of goodness. I believe we should have some calluses on our hands from, from doing what is good. Good calluses. Christian calluses. Uh, it's, it's something we, we can all do. Be kind. Be good. Look for opportunities to serve. Look for opportunities to help each other. And the third and uh, the final job description that we're going to look at this morning, I'm going to call this uh, providing. Maybe this seems strange to you that I would include it in this, this list. Uh, but I think we probably too often uh, compartmentalize our lives and we think of working in the kingdom as something different than what each of us spends a good bit of our day or week uh, doing, going to a job, uh, working around the house. So I'd just like to encourage us a little bit that there is nothing ungodly about hard work and providing for those that God has given us responsibility for, driving a truck or a tractor 
or washing clothes or, or dishes can be exactly what God wants you to be doing. And it's no less spiritual than holding street meetings or passing out tracts. Paul is very clear with, with Timothy that we are to provide for our own. And he told the Thessalonians uh, in, in First Thessalonians, he said, work with your own hands and lead a quiet life. And then uh, he doubled up in Second Thessalonians. We're going to actually look at a, a passage there, but uh, I don't know if they didn't get the memos in the first letter or what, but then he has this whole thing of warning about idleness in Second Thessalonians. So maybe they were struggling with that. So we're going to look at Second uh, Thessalonians. Uh, 3, and I'm going to read 7 through about 13. And I think this is the NIV. It says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. And uh, thinking about the life of Jesus, um, we really don't have a good record about what Jesus did from ages 15 through 30. Uh, but we can be pretty sure that he wasn't just hanging out by the Sea of Galilee every day or mooching off his relatives. And I doubt that he was spending 12 hours a day in uh, scripture reading and prayer in some solitary place. I think Jesus had calluses, and work rough hands. Can we, can we get too involved in work? Absolutely. We all know that. Um, but being a partner with God does not mean that we should shy away from hard work. In fact, we should, we should have better attitudes and, and be better workers than, than most people I think. So in conclusion, um, we are partnering with the creator of the universe. Uh, he is the source of love, the fountain of mercy and grace, and all-powerful and totally holy God. And for some reason, he would like to work with us. He would like to partner with us, to work through us. And that's an overwhelming thing, if you think about it. But it's also something that, that should make us smile, uh, make, maybe pick our heads up a bit. He wants to work with us. And the benefits that we reap uh, from this relationship are obvious and amazing. But if that, if that wasn't enough, just the benefits that we reap from this working relationship that we have with God, uh, he also tells us that our work will be rewarded. And I'm going to read... 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 58. And this, this chapter, 
Uh, it's probably one of the most triumphant chapters in the New Testament. And I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but Paul is going on and he's speaking about the resurrection body. And he says, O oh, death, where is thy victory? O oh, death, where is thy sting? And thanks be to God who gives us the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says all that. And then he says in verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He notices it's, uh, it's doing something. It's worthwhile. It's not in vain. So, so our feeble efforts, uh, our weak hands, when we, we partner with Him in His work, it is not in vain. And that's the challenge that I'd like to leave with all of you this morning. Thank you.